Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Graduates, this is the time to laugh, the time to dance, the time to celebrate, the time to heave very big sighs of relief, and the time to receive the congratulation of family, of friends, and of Loma Linda University. So I say congratulations to each of you. I trust you will forgive my personal pride in saying congratulations to my future daughter-in-law, to Nicole Spady. Congratulations, Dr. Spady, Roberts. Welcome to the family. (laughs) They say we don't remember time in large pieces. We don't remember chronologically all of the events of our lives. But what we do remember are moments. Memorable moments that stand out. Your first crush. Your first kiss. Your first date. You remember those. Your last high school class, your senior prom, a final goodbye. Or your 21st birthday. People remember a 50th wedding anniversary. We remember our graduations. As you look back over your medical school journey to this point in time, there are certain moments that you no doubt will remember. A teacher who offered special advice. A friend who encouraged you. A parent who prayed for you. Because we don't remember large pieces of time. What we remember are moments along the way. So I hope that this weekend, today here in this sanctuary, tomorrow out on the mall, that you will take a moment to just breathe a deep sigh of relief, to look around at your classmates, at your family, to take it in and to make this one of those moments that you will carry with you throughout the rest of your lives. While you're remembering that moment, I'd like to give you a text that maybe you'll remember. It's from the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7. Now I realize that When you hear the name Ecclesiastes, you think, oh no, you just ruined my moment. (laughs) I avoid Ecclesiastes on hard days. But I want to say that while the text begins rather rough, I think it may have a message that you can carry with you from this day. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, says this. In this meaningless life of mine... (laughs) not exactly an auspicious beginning. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. 
the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. That's a strange text. I honestly did not learn that as a child in all the memory verses I learned. It was never taught to me. I went to quite a number of different commentaries this past week looking for what the theologians and the scholars have to say about this passage penned by the old wise man. What does it mean? And honestly, there were mixed messages there. It became evident to me that some just didn't like this passage. In fact, one scholar went so far as to say, the teacher, meaning the author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher is simply giving bad advice. And I thought, well, I don't agree with that. There must be more here, so I kept digging. What emerged was something quite interesting, to be honest. It appeared to have had its roots deep in Israelite history. Back during the time when people were remembering the promise of God about long life in the land. If they lived lives in submission and in obedience to Him, they would be healthy and even wealthy. And yet they were looking around in their day and time and they were realizing that people were dying, some of them young, some of them tragic deaths, no doubt. And realizing that life doesn't always work that way. So there were some who became extreme in their religion. They assumed, well, we just haven't been righteous enough. And so we'll become more righteous, extremely righteous. One commentary used the term super-righteous. That will guarantee that God will respond and give us good and long lives. But there were others who responded by throwing everything out and saying none of it matters. It doesn't matter how you live. You're going to die anyway. You may as well live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And then the wise man steps in and calls for something different than either of those two extremes. On the one hand, you have the ascetic who doesn't enjoy life at all. On the other hand, you have the libertine who doesn't have any boundaries at all. And the wise man said, wait a minute. It is possible on the one hand to have a rich, full life that honors God and yet, on the other hand, recognize the reality of our sinful human condition. It's possible to live between them. So, he says, the one who fears God will avoid all extremes. I like the, one, the way one scholar said it in one sentence. He captured what I think is the essence of the passage by saying this. Edward Curtis, the teacher, that's the author, encourages living with balance and avoiding extremes. So there's a way to live a good, robust, happy, healthy, and at times fun life, and still at the same time live a deep, dedicated, devoted life to God. Avoid the extremes. So I got to thinking, in honor of the wisdom literature of Scripture, that wisdom literature that is full of pithy sayings and proverbial statements. 
maybe I could offer you something today. Something that grows out of our world rather than that, but that is based in Scripture. So I want to give you what I've chosen to call the anatomy of really living. I want to tell you right up front, this is not original with me. I found these thoughts in a range of different places, as diverse and different as novelists to football coaches to actors and country music singers. So I'm not sure to whom to give credit, except it's not me. (laughs) That much I do know. But here's what I've called it, the anatomy for really living. To do that, you're going to need three bones. Three bones. You're going to need a wishbone, you're going to need a funny bone, and you're going to need a backbone. If you're going to live that kind of life. So let's start with a wishbone. Now I'm not talking about the kind of wishbone that grows out of our egoism, where it's all about me. And I want whatever it is that I wish for to be given to me so that I will have an easy life in the years ahead. I'm not talking about that kind of wishbone. Not the kind of wishbone voiced by Linus in the Peanuts comic strip. In one strip, Linus and Charlie Brown are talking about what they're going to be when they grow up. And Linus says to Charlie Brown, I want to be a humble little country doctor. That's what I want to be. Now, I want to live in the city, and I want to get up in the morning, and I want to get in my sports car, and I want to zoom into the country, and then I want to heal everybody that I encounter. I'll heal everybody all around so that I will be a world-famous, humble little country doctor. (laughs) That's not the kind of wishing I'm talking about. I'm talking about the wishbone, the which, if it is satisfied, makes life better for others, makes more evident the kingdom of God among us. I'm talking about the kind of wishbone that Louis had. Louis was just a tiny tot when tragedy struck him. He was playing around in his father's shop, and with an awl, he injured his left eye. Deep injury. Pierce penetrated pieces of it that you could tell me about. They tried to do what they could, became infected. The infection spread to the other eye, and this little tiny tot lost vision in both eyes. It was a tragic circumstance in his life. Some years later, at the age of 10 years old, he was accepted to the Royal Academy for Youth Who Were Blind. He went to study there, went to study hoping that somehow he would be able to to read and to write and to begin to understand the world around him. It's while he was there that he encountered a retired army officer. This retired army officer had developed a mechanism so that the soldiers beneath his command could communicate in silence in the darkness of night. Well, Louis became fascinated by what he did. In fact, he became so fascinated that he began to draw on that and develop his own system, a system that was made up of raised bumps on pieces of paper, raised bumps by which blind people could read and write. 
that's used to this very day. Louis Braille went to that school with a wish, a wishbone. I wish I could read and write. And look what happened. Once upon a time, a woman had a dream. She dreamed that she was in a shopping center. She went into one of the stores, walked up to the counter, and to her surprise, Jesus was behind the counter. Surprised and startled as she was, she nevertheless fell into conversation with Jesus, only to hear him say, I am here to, to, to grant what you wish for. Anything? Well, yes. And she said, I'll tell you what I wish. I wish for peace and healing and wellness and joy, not just for myself, but for everyone. And in the dream, Jesus smiled. And he said, well, you have to understand, ma'am, that here we don't give fruits. We only give seeds. I'll give you the seeds. You sit here today. At a moment, I hope you remember. But I can tell you this. Jesus has planted a seed in your heart. He's given you a wishbone. We heard some of them already this morning from your classmates. It's now up to you to decide by the grace and the power of the Spirit of Jesus, will I leave this place to activate that wishbone? Not just for me, but for the good of those around me and for the good of the kingdom of God in the world. Living a balanced life, avoiding the extremes, knowing the anatomy of really living. You'll need three bones. You'll need a wishbone, a funny bone, and a backbone. So let's talk about the funny bone. After all, it was this same writer, the wise man who over in the book of Proverbs wrote that well-known proverb, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Apparently, he loved to laugh. It was Ethel Barrymore, yesteryear's American actress, who said, you will have fully grown up, you will have come to maturity when you are able to truly laugh at yourself. In other words, when you don't take yourself too seriously. I was a student at the seminary at Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Having grown up in the tropics, and Texas. I had no idea what cold weather could do. It was like a slap in the face to discover what it meant to live in that kind of freezing cold weather. For example, I had no idea that it could get so cold that I could go out to put my key in the door of my car in the lock, and I couldn't get it in. The lock was frozen shut. I couldn't even get in the car. I'd never considered that. I hadn't given any thought to what I soon discovered they called black ice, ice that you couldn't see, that was on the freeways at times, on the roadways, on the sidewalks. I didn't know that suddenly you could be in the ditch or on your back. 
All this was new. I had a good friend that, who's, well, I'll call him Milo, since that was his name. <laughs> a good friend. Good friend named Milo. We remained friends. He was in our wedding. Good friend named Milo who had grown up in the cold country. He knew about all these kinds of things. And he used to take his special joy in needling me at what I didn't know and what would often happen to me. Well, one day, Milo and I were walking down a long sidewalk headed toward our graduate dorm. And on this sidewalk, it had been very cold. There was this ice that I couldn't see. And it was one of these kinds of journeys where I was just about to go down every couple of steps. Milo walked along beside me, watching me, and at one point he said in a loud voice, playful voice, but a loud voice, Stand up on your feet, boy. And I was trying, doing my best. Just after he said that, there was one of those patches of ice, and whoosh, his feet went straight up. <laughs> he levitated for about three minutes just so I could enjoy it. And then he went down whoosh, on his back, looking up at me with wide eyes. God is so good. And so I said to him, the only thing I could think of to say, stand up on your feet, boy. <laughs> and then Milo did something that I don't think I would have had the maturity or the humility to do. I don't know that many of us do. Milo started laughing, just laughing laughing out loud, laughing at his own failure, his own humanity. Maybe he laughed because the text flashed through his mind from the ancient wise man. Pride goes before a fall. <laughs> he laughed. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about laughing at a sit sitcom or a, a, a funny book or a good joke. Laugh at those as well. But what I'm talking about here today is being able to accept your humanity to the degree that your funny bone includes laughing at yourself. Living that kind of a balanced, well-reasoned life. Avoiding the extremes. The anatomy of really living. It requires three bones. It requires your wishbone. It requires your funny bone. And it requires your backbone. Now, I think that backbone is much harder to develop than the other two. It's not easy to develop that backbone, to take stands when others aren't, to speak the truth when others would rather not. That's not an easy bone to develop in your body. I read just this week a man who said, I used to think I was indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> it's not easy. Reminds me of the judge. The two men came before the judge, hoping the judge would adjudicate their case. Each wanted to present his case to the judge. The judge agreed. So the first one told his side of the tale, after which the judge said, you're absolutely right. The second man got angry at that. So what do you mean? You haven't even heard my side of the tale. He said, well, speak on then. And so he told his side of the tale, after which the judge said, you're absolutely right. Now, the first man was angry. He said, 
you said the same thing to both of us. We can't both be right. And the judge said, you're absolutely right. (laughs) That backbone. It's not easy to develop that. But at moments in your life, it will be the difference between true success and painful failure. Paraphrasing the words, from that diminutive woman who was key in founding this place, Ellen White, she said, we need people whose consciences are true to right just as the needle is to the pole. We need people of character, of integrity, who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Backbone. It was in November of 1967 at Ebenezer Church in Atlanta, Georgia, that a young man, I'll call him young, named Martin Luther King Jr. delivered the sermon. He preached on the three Hebrew worthies. That story told in the Old Testament book of Daniel, of that image that the king had built and of the command on pain of death, bow when the music plays. He preached on that story. And his special focus was on the response of the three Hebrew worthies to the king's demand. They said, O king, we serve a God, a God who's the God of the heavens. We will not bow to your image. And the king said, you will bow or you will burn. And they said, we won't bow and we don't believe we'll burn. But then they said, Our God is able to save us, but if He does not, it doesn't matter. We still will not bow. And MLK focused in on that phrase, but if He does not. I want to read you his words, elegant words, far beyond my capacity to speak. These are his words. I want to say to you this morning, my friends, that somewhere along the way you should discover something that's so dear, so precious to you, that is so eternally worthful that you will never give it up. You ought to discover some principle. You ought to have some great faith that grips you so much that you will never give it up. Somehow you go on and say, I know that the God I worship is able to deliver me, but if not, I'm going on anyhow. I'm going to stand up for it anyway. What does this mean? It means in the final analysis, you do right not to avoid hell. If you're doing right merely to keep from going to something that traditional theology is called hell, then you aren't doing right. If you do right merely to go to a condition that theologians have called heaven, you aren't doing right. If you're doing right to avoid pain and to achieve happiness and pleasure, you aren't doing right. Ultimately, you must do right because it's right to do right. And you got to say, but if not, 
You must love ultimately because it's lovely to love. You must be just because it's right to be just. You must be honest because it's right to be honest. This is what this text is saying more than anything else. And finally, you must do it because it has gripped you so much that you are willing to die for it if necessary. And I say to you this morning that if you have never found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, then you aren't fit to live. You may be 38 years old, as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls upon you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job or you're afraid that you will be criticized or that you'll lose your popularity or you're afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot at you or bomb your house and so you refuse to take the stand. Well, you may go on and live until you're 90. but You're just as dead at 38 as you would be at 90. And the cessation of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an earlier death of the Spirit. You died when you refused to stand up for the right. You died when you refused to stand up for the truth. You died when you refused to stand up for justice. These boys stand before us today, and I thank God for them, for they had found something. The fiery furnace couldn't stop them from believing. They said, throw us into the fiery furnace. But you know, the interesting thing is, the Bible talks about a miracle because they had faith enough to say, but if not, and God was with them as an eternal companion. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of backbone. The backbone that can only be grown in you by the nurturing, the grace, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The backbone which Jesus called us to have as he invited us to put our feet into his blood-stained footprints. The Jesus who said, beware. He said this. Beware when all people speak well of you. Be careful, he said, when everybody likes you. Why? Because, said Jesus, that's how they spoke of the false prophets. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if everybody likes you, something false is happening somewhere because not everybody likes people with backbone. So that's what I call you to. To the anatomy of really living to the wisdom of the old wise man who wrote, the one who fears God will avoid all extremes, to a balanced life where you realize, I need a wishbone. I need a funny bone. And by God's grace, I need a backbone. You are leaving Loma Linda with great knowledge. You're leaving Loma Linda with wisdom that has grown while you've been here. I pray that you will leave Loma Linda with an understanding that the God of grace who goes with you can accomplish all three of those in your life. So that as you leave this place, you might leave filled with His Spirit, assured of His presence, 
and sustained by His guidance, not only today and tomorrow, but all the days of your life. Amen.